she gave him white bread with gravy and he got real mad. Uh, the milk was sour, so he just completely took the table and just threw it to the side, dishes and all, slapped my mother, knocked her down. This was nothing new. This was like three or four times a week. She um, just couldn't stand it no longer, you know, but she never said a word to him about it. She wouldn't fuss at him. But one day she told me, she said, I just can't stand this no longer. She said, what do I need to do? And I told her, I said, I wasn't but 12 years old. I said, Mama, we've got to leave. Well, she enjoys fishing, bowling, and playing games with her family. Let's meet Frances Marshall on today's Mid-South Viewpoint here on the Body Radio Network. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Friend, it's so good to have you stop by. I'm excited to introduce you to Miss Frances Marshall, who I met recently in a restaurant, place that I like to frequent, called Sweet Peas in Olive Branch, Mississippi. One Friday at lunch, I was off of work, and my son and I, Joel, we went to Sweet Peas there in Olive Branch to have a delicious meal. And who do we run into but Frances Marshall in the entrance of the restaurant there had a display. She was representing her authorship of two books she's written. I thought, we've got to talk to this lady here on Mid-South Viewpoint. So, Frances, welcome to Bot Radio Network. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you letting me have come today. I want to tell your story really through a book that you've written called Who Gave the Last Slap? How long ago did you write this book? Well, I've been working on it about four years, and I did an outline. I ended up with 611 pages. You don't think you know anything until you start writing, and then all of a sudden, you can't stop. You just (laughs) keep writing. And then I had it published, and they cut it down to about 250 pages. It explores the themes of love, hate, loss, healing, and forgiveness. Each chapter is a journey through the emotions that come with heartbreak and the process of moving on. You discovered how to have a happy marriage. Right. If I can help just one woman with my book, it was worth writing. I want to really start back in the beginning of life. Chapter one begins in your book, Francis. Can you take us there and tell us where you were born, who your parents were, what were some of the joys of growing up, and what did some of those dark days look like for you growing up? Well, I was raised up in Walcott, Arkansas. I was born in Paragool. When I was six years old, uh, we worked just like an adult would. My dad always believed in us working. If he told us to go jump on the tractor, we went and jumped on the tractor or in the combine or cotton field or whatever he said, that was it. You know, you didn't back talk to him or say, well, wait a minute, you know, I'll do it after a while. No, sir, you did it right then. My dad was mean to my mother. He was very jealous. He was a king of the house. You know, he just made sure that everybody did exactly how he wanted it done. But I guess I learned in the long run how to have a fantastic marriage. I knew I did not want my marriage to be like this. And ladies, if God can take care of you, and if you're having a very bad marriage, get out of it. It's my best thing. Just... Don't live like that. Well, Francis, according to some national statistics on domestic violence, on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the U.S. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in four women, one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, post-traumatic disorder. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of 
of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, uh, slapping, shoving, pushing. And so you saw this in the home growing up. I did. My dad was very abusive. One night, my mother didn't cook cornbread. She gave him white bread with gravy, and he got real mad. Uh, the milk was sour, so he just completely took the table and just threw it to the side, dishes and all, slapped my mother, knocked her down. This was nothing new. This was like three or four times a week. She um, just couldn't stand it no longer, you know, but she never said a word to him about it. She wouldn't fuss at him. But one day she told me, she said, I just can't stand this no longer. She said, what do I need to do? And I told her, I said, I wasn't but 12 years old. I said, Mama, we've got to leave, you know. So we planned on leaving. We packed our bags, threw them under the bed in case he come back. He left for work one day. Our great uncle met us at the driveway at the road. He said, I won't pull in. I might get blocked. So we ran to the road. We ran, got in the car in the back seat, covered up, and moved to Memphis. And we left then. My. Did you have any siblings at that time? I did. I have a fantastic brother, Dewey. He, he was two years older than me, and uh, he worked just like I did, you know, uh, on the combine, tractors, chopping cotton, uh, hoeing corn, whatever we was told to do. That's what we did. Now, what about Dewey? Where, did he go with you at that time? He did go with us at the time, but he just wasn't a city person. He was a country person. He liked working in the field, so he ended up going back with my dad. I hated it because we were very close. But you stayed in contact with him through the years? Oh, we did. Uh, I talked to my brother all the time. I say four or five times a week. Francis, how did you think it affected you, you know, emotionally, just seeing the rage and the environment that was being created, the turmoil there when you're dead? I was very scared all the time. I was afraid to move. I guess we called it respect, but now I think it wasn't respect. Right. You know, it was just uh, doing what we was told. Tell us something about Benjamin Crowley's family. Now, uh, Benjamin Crowley's my seventh great grandfather. He... Um, Moved to Walcott with his family. Uh, he came on a wagon train across the ridge. His brothers and sons and all built them houses. And then when he got it all done by the lake, he went back and got his family in Black Oak. And they came back on wagon trains. Whenever the uh, women got off the wagons, they just couldn't believe it. You know, they had brand new homes oh. and right there by the, where they can wash their clothes and everything. Kids started seeing deer all over the place and they was running after the deer. Oh, my. And Benjamin Crowley is known for the Crowley Ridge State Park. I was just fixing to ask you, was mm-hmm. that connections? That was your grandfather. That was my seventh great grandfather. Seventh great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Now, was there an actual fire in the hayloft? You talk about this fire in Chapter 6. Oh, there is a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Us kids, my brother and me, and uh, we had a family that had like 12 kids. So it was raining one day, and we didn't have to work that day. And so we decided to go up in the hayloft. We was going to just act like we was cooking or something. Well, somebody had a match. So we was really going to cook. And uh, we set the hay on fire. Well, we tried to put it out. We ran, of course, back then you didn't have automatic water hose you had buckets of water so we pumped water as fast as we could but about that time our parents come out oh lord help me they start all hollering and screaming and running with buckets and we burnt the barn down and we also had to clean the barn up too 
So I guess it wasn't just your father was upset. Your mother wasn't too happy with you either. She wasn't too happy with us yeah. either because she knew she'd be in the middle of it and it'd probably be her fault no matter what happened. Well, Francis, did your father ever show abuse toward you or your brother? We weren't allowed to do anything. We weren't allowed to go swimming or skating or to the movies or anything. Go spend the night with anybody unless it was somebody he approved of. Do you know what kind of childhood your dad had? He had a fantastic childhood. He had seven brothers and sisters, and none of them was like him. You mentioned that uh, you, you finally, when you were about 12, 13 years old, you moved on. You left Arkansas. You came to Memphis, established a, a new home here. Now, at some point, you became a manager at the age of 13 years of age. I did. Well, back then, you worked. You know, they didn't have a law where you had to be 17, you know, or 18. So I was working at the Crystal over on Watkins Avenue. Oh, across from the Sears. Right. And I'd been over there two weeks. And like I said, I'd been working since I was six years old. So it wasn't nothing for me to work. Uh, This man came in. I waited on him, said, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, Did everything he asked of his food. He asked the manager, he said, how long has she been here? And she said, two weeks. And he said, make her a manager. (laughs) And so at 13 and a half years old, I become a manager. Do you know how many times I've eaten at that Crystal, my mom worked at the catalog sales at Sears across the street. Oh, really? So oftentimes, you know, I would go there and I was just a young boy and remember eating there. Matter of fact, I, I still remember the paper straws. Crystal, back in those days, right. they used paper straws. Now, now, it's funny how there's a resurgence of paper straws and a lot of restaurants now are using them for environmental reasons. But back then, that was kind of common, but Crystal used paper straws. Well, they still do that in California in a lot of places. Right. They have paper yeah. straws. And, and, and it was interesting, too. I, I know that when you would go in there, of course, those steamy hot crystals in the little red basket, and they had the bench there, the bar with the little round stools that spun, and the little mustard and ketchup bottles on the counter, you know. And the onions on there are delicious. Oh, my goodness, Francis. Weren't the they ones s- you take out of the back of the tray that yeah. goes in the back of the tray, that's the best ones. <laughs> those are the best ones, huh? <laughs> well, we thoroughly enjoyed our time at Crystal. Those are some good memories. So you worked there managing at 13 years of age. Uh, now, in the book, you all, and of course, I'm skipping around a little bit. And okay. you, you mentioned Bill Marshall, the man of your dreams. So you saw him the first time at the skating rink. Now, was that the Skateland skating rink or what skating rink was Summer it? Summer Avenue skating rink. Now, of course, I'd been there many times, too. Mm-hmm. So you were actually working there or just there to have I fun? I was working there. Okay. And uh, I've been going skating there a long time, but I was working there. I was selling tickets. So uh, when I saw him pull up and get out of that car, he had a yellow Mustang. And then on green pair of pants and a yellow shirt and dark hair. And he was just fantastic looking. And so um, I just decided right then that's who I was going to marry. I was 19 years old. And you said it was one year later? One year later to the day, October the 10th, 1970. What was your wedding day like? Take us back to that day when you got married. Oh, well, I wasn't nervous until I got in the car. Because I was busy making my dress and getting to church and uh, getting everything set up. But when I got in the car, then I started wondering if he was going to show up. (laughs) (laughs) We dated a whole year, probably two weeks. But there was his car. They was decorating his car, and it was red. And they had shaving cream and underwear and just everything all over that car. So what were your plans for your wedding? Did you have a a specific location? How did you get married? What was it? I got uh, married at Leewood Baptist Church uh, over around Treadwell High School. One One of my husband's cousins 
went to church here. Uh, we were going to church. I went to church in Walcott, Arkansas. My husband went in Mississippi. So we never belonged to anywhere else. So nobody wanted to marry us. So his cousin uh, told me, she said, I'll talk to the preacher because we've been going to church here about five weeks. And so uh, she talked to him and he called us and we went, you know, and told him how we believed in Jesus Christ. And uh, he said he would marry us. And so, oh, I love that. And was that Dr. Jerry Glisson that married you? Uh, Nelson. No, okay, that was before Nelson. Dr. Glisson mm-hmm. then. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you mentioned something I think is really key here about your faith in Jesus Christ. Tell me when you first discovered your need for Christ and when he became a reality, when Jesus, you were trusting him for as your Savior and Lord. Well, I thought I wanted Jesus in my life when I was nine years old. But the thing about it, every time my brother do something, I do it. And so a preacher came to our house and asked my brother if he wanted to be baptized, and my brother did. And so uh, I didn't want him to outdo me. So I got baptized about three months later. But Jesus has always been in my life. Now my, my sons and my daughter are, all, are Christians. I think this is really key to your marriage, too, is we talk about how you and Bill Marshall spent how many years together? Fifty-three. Fifty-three years. And there's a key there about both of you had faith in Christ. And you, do you feel like that was really what has helped you through the years in your relationship to oh, one God, another? Oh, God is the only thing that has helped us through our marriage. If you don't have God in your marriage, you just don't have anything. You can't do anything without God. Yeah. And I can't help but think, too, Francis, maybe someone listening to us right now who maybe they're in a domestic violence situation and they don't know how to get out. And maybe they don't know the Lord. Knowing Christ, that doesn't mean you're going to be relieved from all your problems. It does provide, first of all, peace with God, which we all need. And that's what the gospel provides for us, our sins to be forgiven, which is so important. But then as you move with your life and you see how the Lord orders your steps, like he did with you and Bill for 53 right. years. Now, what kind of work did Bill do? Bill was a uh, top technician, a uh, maintenance person. Uh, but he could do anything, you know, um, anything from building to being a fireman to you name it. Yeah. Now, he couldn't work on computers, he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he could work on anything. He was very smart. God blessed you and Bill with uh, your son, William. Now, did you have any other children besides William? Robin is our son. He's 41. And then Twala Ann, she's uh, 53 I think I can get it right in a minute. But my daughter now, she was paralyzed about three years ago. They found her in the kitchen and uh, a blood clot was on her eyebrow and she uh, just hit the floor. And so she's paralyzed down her left side. Is someone helping, I guess, take care of her? Yes, her husband does, Richard. He's very good to her. Uh, so he, what was it like being the mom of, of three children? Whew. Every one of them's different, let me tell you. <laughs> William liked to fish and play ball, and Robin, he likes to uh, bowl and uh, sometimes fish. And Twilight, she was just like me. She worked all the time. <laughs> so. Now, was there a point in your life that maybe after the kids got to a certain age that you went back to school to finish school? I did. I finished. I got my GED. When I was a teenager, I decided that um, having fun was more important than school. So I missed three or four days a month. And they finally kicked me out. So uh, I finally decided back in 1992 I was going to get my GED, and I did. I uh, went to nursing school. I went to beauty school, insurance, everything. So you've done it all. Quite I've a- done it all. And you know what I like to do? I like to sail. 
You like to sell. Mm-hmm. I own a company now since I met you. It's called K-A-C-H-O and Marshall Publishing. And what I do is publish people's authors' books. We format them, covers. I do all the marketing. So this is something new. That's something new since I met you. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to ask a lady's age, but would you mind me asking your age? Well, I'm 74 today. 70. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so this is really a special treat for you to be here on it your is. birthday. 70. It is. Happy birthday. I'm excited. I want to go back to the book entitled, Who Gave the Last Slap? There was a lot of pain behind the words that you wrote in this book, as we've been discussing. Of course, there was a wonderful change when you moved away and God restored and gave you a new life and you met Bill. But it had to be hard for you to recall some of those painful memories. It was very hard. Uh, seeing your mother knocked across the room, a table threw at her, slapped and thrown up against a car, pulled by the hair. It's very, it's very hard. Uh, you just can't understand how, why a man would do that or even a woman would do that to her husband. Yeah. They uh, eloped, and they went across Memphis Bridge. She got out, walked across, and got back in the vehicle. She thought that would be the happiest day of her life, and it wasn't. Wasn't the happiest day? No. Oh, and I, I think that story gets repeated many times, sadly enough, as we talk about these statistics and just the U.S. alone, how oh, high man. they are. Now, in Chapter 24 of your book, you speak of the Great Flood. Now, was this a literal flood? Well, it was a flood in my house. <laughs> Inside your house? What happened? Well, somehow the mayor never would do anything about the street flooding. And every time it rained, the uh, gutters would fill up. And it was just like a tidal wave coming toward my house. I could see it. And all my furniture outside be floating down the street. And wow. anything on the carport and in the garage and everything would just get soaking wet. So uh, my son, Robin, he came and we went to the eye doctor that day. And when we came back, oh, he was all upset. Mama, why don't they do something about this water? We're talking about water up to your waist. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, Inside it, your house. Almost getting in our house. We uh, tape up our doors and everything, put sandbags up against the doors and keep it from coming in our house. Yeah. But it could get in our Did house. Did you ever resolve that issue? Did they ever fix it? No. So I guess you had to move uh, then. Well, we finally sold the house and yeah. moved. In Chapter 25, Francis, you describe a tragedy involving your best friend. Were you prepared for that tragedy? No, I wasn't. Uh, my best friend, she was living with us because her husband beat her up real bad. And so we went over and we moved her trailer and everything. And I gave her a room. And Sherry had a hard life. And she went down to see her son and his wife at the lake. And coming back, I don't know if she was driving too fast or what, but she lost control. Her vehicle turned upside down, threw her out, and went on top of her. Oh, my. She wasn't a 52, I think, yeah. something like that. She wasn't very old. Yeah. I know that had to break your heart. That's, it did. What makes going to Lake Chicot State Park outside of Greenville, Mississippi, so special? You've spent some time there? Oh, we did. We took our camper down there. We had a fifth wheel, and we'd drive down there and fish in the lake and just camp. We had a little old dachshund dog, and he decided he's just going to get all. My husband bathed him one night with a, and got him all cleaned up, and when he went out the door of the bathroom, he hit that dirt just <laughs> black as could be. It was just all brown. 
my husband told him, he said, I'm going to get you. And he got the water hose and just wrenched him off real good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I discovered that Lake Chicot State Park, about a 20-mile-long area, the lake is the largest natural lake in Arkansas and has the largest oxbow lake in North America. The waters are very beautiful. And as you mentioned, people like to fish there. Oh, they do. Bass, crappie, bream, catfish. Now, what's the biggest fish you ever caught? Oh, well, I caught a 27-pound buffalo before. Did you? Mm-hmm. And the biggest uh, bass I caught is probably six pounds. My. Uh, so I love to fish. So you still go pretty regularly? No. Since my husband passed away, my son don't have time. we got to get you back on the lake. It's, I know. it's time to go fishing. You're, I know. You got to maybe teach me how to fish. I'm, I'm taking Scott this week. Okay. You want to go? <laughs> I, well, we might have to talk about that. Miss Francis, I also want to mention uh, about another book. You're not just a one-book author. No. You've got another book called Jenkins Plantation, and we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this book, but just a couple highlights I want to mention. The story centers around Dora was only three years old when her parents were sold to slave trade and shipped to America. They were shipped in wooden crates and treated like animals. She stood quietly by her mother's side during what reported to be one of the biggest slave auctions. Her mother, Jane, ran the kitchen for her master while her father worked in the field and did carpentry work. And it was a couple years before they were sold to Master Jenkins. And this is where Dora grew up. Now, is this a fictitious character? How did you learn about Dora? Well, I've always liked historical, you know, back in the 1700s. And I love plantation houses. So I came up with the plantation house. It's not real. And then um, everybody asked me, he said, where's this house located? Well, no, it's, I come up with it. The man's name, Jenkins, the man next door to me's last name was Jenkins. So that's how I got the last name. A lot of it is true about the Civil War and the slavery and being sold on the auction blocks. But I came up with the family's name. Right. And I came up with the characters well, and what they did. Of course, this is a very tragic period of American history that most wish really never happened. What caused you to address this specific topic? I think it's very sad um, that we had slaves, that they was treated the way they were treated. My dad was in a Ku Klux Klan. I've never approved of it. I think they have rights just like we have rights, just like Mexicans or anybody else. I think it's terrible. I feel bad about it myself, and I had nothing to do with it. So you did some research and investigation before you wrote the book? I did. A lot of it. About a year and a half. What part of the book do you think was most difficult for you to write? Um, Probably the auction block. Uh, How the kids were taken from their families, thrown down and drug across, and how they was inspected. People bought them. They inspected their arms, their teeth, their legs, their muscles to see how much they could work. They took their babies away from them and sold them to somebody else. They never got to see them again. They have no family tree. Now, I did hear the other day that somebody has getting their family tree and working to get their family back. But one black man went out to get his family tree information and the man come to the door with the papers and set it on fire and never gave it to him. I do family trees, and so yeah. I know how important that is with Benjamin Crowley's family. So I'm all the way back to 360 B.C. on the Crowleys. So I know how important that is. What do you hope Dora's story will accomplish most? Uh, maybe she'll teach someone how to love without seeing their color. She taught black kids and black people how to read and write and uh, 
have a life. So yeah. really, really, despite her circumstances, she prevailed and became very productive in the sense of giving back and not letting the circumstances of her life dictate how she was going to live as a victim. She became victorious, as you mentioned, and helped train young children and teach them how to read and write. Right. Uh, my second book on Jenkins Plantation is called Dora's Activity Schoolhouse. It shows how the kids got to have activities, classes, teachers, all kinds of stuff. Francis, as we wrap up here today, what legacy do you hope to leave your children and grandchildren? I hope they understand how I feel, how much I love them, and what kind of grandfather they had. I lost my husband in January with yeah. cancer. No, you're fine. And uh, he was a fantastic Christian person. If I could just be half of the Christian he was, it'd be great. I know he's in heaven. Francis Marshall, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a joy to tell your story, and our prayer is it will be a blessing to those who listen and watch our video that we're doing here. But thanks for being so transparent. I want to tell you I love you. just met you recently, but I just appreciate you so much and can Thank sense you. your sweet spirit. And thank you for what you're doing in your life. You're still going strong for the Lord and using the giftings he's given you also to help others. Now, about your helping other authors, if somebody wanted to talk to you about their book, what could they do? Could they contact you? Yes, it's K-A-C-H-O-Marshall at gmail.com. And let us know that you have a member script and you want us to publish your books. Or you can also go to francismarshall63 at yahoo.com and leave me a message, and I'll be getting back with you. Thank you so much, Francis. You're welcome. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint here on the Bot Radio Network. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. If you would like to listen to today's show again, go to BotRadioNetwork.com and look for Mid-South Viewpoint under the broadcast tab. The show is also available on your favorite podcast platforms. Some shows have video of the interviews as well and can be viewed at Byron Tyler Radio on YouTube or on our Bot Radio Network mobile app.